Hey, you're listening to The Real World on CATR 101.9 FM with Dora and no Dama because Dama's still in Brazil, which is sick. Um, so sick. <laughs> the sickest, maybe. Um, but this is a little late episode because I guess I got up a little late. I don't know. Whatever. You'll deal with it. You're fine. Um, so The Real World is the UBC Film Society's radio show where we talk about film and try to connect with other campus clubs and organizations. Um Organization's key today because I'm joined in studio by Tim. Hello. Hey, Tim. What's up? Not much. Um, Tim, <laughs> Tim is the projectionist of the Cinematheque um, and a longtime film sock member lover. Yeah, a runner. <laughs> yeah. <I'd say>. Um, <laughs> you know. is like dictator, like yeah. leader, fearless. Um, no, we we share a kinship as as runners of the film society in different time, times. Yeah, truly. Um, it does feel kind of weird that I'm not chairperson anymore. Because mm. I still get the emails, and I'm like, but I'm not, I shouldn't respond to this. It feels bizarre. <laughs> yeah, this is not your problem anymore. <laughs> yeah. Film society is dead to you. <laughs> not even going to be I'm over it. I'm out. Um, no, the, the, the interesting, maybe not interesting, but interesting kind of painful thing about film society is once you're the chairperson you're never not involved anymore Mm -hmm. so good luck thank you that's like a beautiful future for me i'm excited and also i like the joke that it's like the godfather where (laughs) it's like you know they try to pull me out or try to get out and they pull me right back in Mm -hmm. well glad to pull you in film sock i guess ties never die because you are leading 35 millimeter club i am 35 millimeter club the new initiative by the film society put on started by you i guess yeah no uh kind of i don't know 35 millimeter club for the listeners who don't know what it is um used to be i guess it used to be free someone wrote a snarky comment on our facebook page saying it used to be free why are you charging five dollars for it uh okay i don't think we've ever done it like this though but um i don't think so either yeah it's 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 a whole new thing (laughs) and totally worth the nominal fee you have to pay for it yeah truly i think so too um but it just like teaches people how to project on 35 millimeter film Mm -hmm. which is like sick yeah and not only just project on it but you know kind of understand why people still use 35 millimeter and historically how kind of uh, the different formats that it's gone through and also just kind of have a deeper appreciation for this format that's, you know, defined what film is for a hundred years. Oh, great. I have like a list of questions. One of them is, why is film still important? Mm-hmm. There we go. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's anytime a, a, like a specific medium has had such an impact on a specific art form, it's important to know that it has like a historical context whether or not it's actually used to create uh movies anymore uh but so it's it's good to know like where it's good to know your roots if if you're a filmmaker or if you know, if you're just a film lover to know that like what kind of impact 35mm had on you know allowing us to make certain kinds of movies but also you know limiting us in the way mm-hmm. we can create movies yeah totally i um i like love film i think it's like way better than digital <laughs> I feel like that's an opinion I'm still allowed to have. Um, yeah, you can have that. I don't know. I, I as a projectionist, I'm I have to I kind of just weigh the pros and cons of either. I'm kind of not in either camp, but I I do love that I still get to work with film. That's a a big uh, a big reason why I enjoy being a film projectionist. Yeah, it's cool. Um, I was looking up. I made a PSA about 35 mil. Um, and. I like Quentin Tarantino like loves film. Mm-hmm. He like hates digital. So he had he, a, like, a He's trope. a bit of a like a fanatic about it. Yeah, no, truly. He had like a bunch of like very um like explosive quotes. Um but then I I like was looking tried other videos with other directors and all the other directors were like no film's out. Like mm-hmm. digital is like where it's at and like digital's better. And I was like like but like I guess like film socking me was like no. Yeah, it's kind of true. interesting. I find a lot. I think a lot of people who are uh, sticking to film as like the far superior format aren't really uh, filmmakers because a lot a lot of filmmakers realize that you there's so much more flexibility in terms of uh, how you can just present uh, you know motion or picture over time, which mm-hmm. is what cinema is and. Film limits you in what you can do that way a lot. And it's great if you have a, a workflow, which is why Tarantino likes it so much, is he developed this cool workflow around 35mm. And because a lot of his filmmaking specifically is so 
referential to uh, previous kind of cinematic ideas. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for him to have that kind of connection with the medium. But I mean, the flexibility you get with with digital is just it's incredible. It's it's really cool. Do you have like a favorite digital film? A favorite digital film. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like, wow, I actually they use that sick. Yeah, my favorite digital filmmaker is probably Terrence Malick right now, cool. who in his last few movies uh, has been doing really interesting things with it. He, if you notice in the credits, uh, he has uh, for uh, all the stuff post Tree of Life, um, they he has three editors for it, and I c- you can tell why he has three editors when you're watching these movies because there's just so much footage you can tell he just left on the cutting room floor, and. Uh, so he's shooting probably at this like incredible ratio of, of um, footage on set to actually what makes it on screen. And one of the great things about digital is that you don't have to worry about like the length of your mags yeah. or uh, you know the, the noise that the film makes when you get up close to people. And you can tell that Terrence Malick takes advantage of that by you know just running uh, scenes for hours. He'll just have this scene going on and people are just kind of living in these scenes and he's just running around trying to capture whatever he can from it and he gets cameras like right in people's faces and says oh don't worry about me i'm just like have this camera in my face <laughs> in your face uh and and you don't have to really worry about it because there's not like this huge honking thing spinning around behind you the whole time uh so i think he's using digital in a really cool way um and it's also how uh david lynch used digital in inland empire he got like really close with people and i think um those kinds of filmmakers are are the ones that would say like yeah I don't really care if I'm sh- what I'm shooting on yeah. because any any kind of new format just affords new kind of uh, possibilities and techniques and I think Terrence Malick is definitely leveraging those in a really cool way oh great segue I think kind of what's your favorite movie on film oh my favorite movie on film oh that's a good question um I don't have a good answer for you. I may come back to that. Okay, yeah, let it. Do let you it have marinate. a favorite movie on film? No. Right. <laughs> um, but then, what's your favorite movie in your life? Oh, my favorite movie in my life. Uh, this has been this way since I was twelve years old. Has not changed. The Matrix. First, first time I saw The Matrix, blew my mind when I was a kid, and uh, in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And really, it, it really had like a really. Uh, tangible uh, effect on like w- how I viewed the world and also the direction I took my life after that even so I, I owe a lot to it um what a great transition to the topic of this week's episode the Wachowski sisters yeah Wachowski's um still doing their thing yeah Tim chose this topic care to explain yeah well the, the Wachowski's are my, are my favorite filmmakers for sure um and uh, I chose it for a couple reasons. One, and they're my favorite. I can talk about all their stuff for a while. <laughs> Two, I think that uh, most of the stuff, all, I think all of the stuff they they do is good. This is kind of like my, my okay, thesis cool. here. It's like, counterpoint, everything they've done is great. <laughs> uh, and it may, it may not be... Counterpoint to what? What are you disagreeing with? <laughs> oh, just the general discourse or like oh, film okay. criticism of the Wachowskis, which is that like, you know... Their early stuff is good, and all their recent stuff is kind of trash. But I thought it was totally like to disagree. yourself, and I was like, "You just said it was your favorite." <laughs> I don't yeah. understand. Um, no, I, th- I think everything they do is really uh, not, not everything they do is perfect, but it's all good for different reasons. And everything they do, they they uh, uh, there's something interesting going on in every project they take on. We can get into that a little bit more later. But, uh, yeah, so the, uh, I like that they're call, uh, constantly challenging what a film can be. Um, and it's also Pride Month right now. And uh, Wachowskis are a very important uh, queer voice in the film world, I think. And yeah, even totally. though – and they've hit the, I know they're, they're very, like, private people, and they haven't really – they don't really, like, make a big deal about talking to media, and they try to avoid as much as possible. But I think they've uh, – at least uh, Lana has kind of embraced the, the fact that she's now a voice for uh, – queer filmmakers yeah um for the lovely listeners who don't know um the wachowskis um came out as trans i think lily lana came out first Mm -hmm. and then four years later lily came out Mm -hmm. um and they still produce they produce like the matrix as the wachowski brothers and they produce cloud atlas as the wachowski sisters it's sick Mm -hmm. um just we a fan it's like a cool cool timeline um 
so I'm gonna play a song super quick. Uh, I just forgot that I forgot to tell you what we listened to first. Um, we listened to Camp or no song by Camp Slut. <laughs> Whoa. Um, so that was good. Yeah, they're both they're all from Montreal. All the music today is Montreal based. Like I'm just basing the themes, I guess, on um, the Matrix, which I thought of as like pure 90s like everything about it was like super like distilled um so that's where that came from sorry my computer's kind of like acting out right now um nice good time for a break yeah i guess so but i guess i'll just play a couple um psas just to get the blood flowing i guess the people love psas yeah i mean i do that's that's what they live for (laughs) Um, if you're listening to radio and not looking for the PSAs, I don't know what you're doing. You're <laughs> listening to radio wrong. Um, Especially CITR's PSAs. We got a great department of PSA producers. Yeah, Shout sh- out to them. They don't get enough credit. <laughs> I play them on my show all the time. I never talk about them. Yeah, they're pristine. Um, so, yeah, enjoy that. Isn't it Real World on CITR 101.9 FM? understand more about fashion, we asked CITR student executive and fashion expert Jonathan Q what fashion means to him. Like, it's just aesthetically something that's so ostentatious. Typically, typically. I mean, because of course, I mean, it's also, you know, I mean, when, when you say fashion, I think people are talking explicitly about uh, consumerism as opposed to someone who buys, like, uh, like, you know, If you really want to know more about fashion, come on down to CITR in the Student Union Building of UBC and pick up some of our merchandise à la mode. Nous avons t-shirts, sweatshirts, socks, and coffee mugs. 
but it's also very aesthetically gripping. To keep you styling in support of the station you love. Isn't that right, Jonathan? Well, actually, is it? Because, I mean, you know, I was going to say because of the cultural vacuum that we exist within, but then, you know, uh, really, fashion today is kind of derived from the European idea of couture, and that's been around for centuries. What if this summer you did something different? What if you worked with people you admired in a city that inspired you, making something that you were proud of? The Media Institute for Social Change is looking for students like you to be a part of their summer documentary program in Portland, Oregon. As a student, you'll create original audio and video pieces about issues that you care about. You'll meet and learn from media professionals whose work is aimed at social justice. You'll immerse yourself in Portland, a city that will serve as your hands-on media-making laboratory. Sound like your type of summer? Apply today at mediamakingchange.org. Let's listen in as one... Hey, welcome back to The Real World on CITR 101.9 FM. Um... You just heard News Reculons by La Fievre. Mm. La Fievre? I don't know. Um, they're a Montreal band, so they're French, so I don't really know. Yeah, flex how the it pronunciation muscles. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, did, <laughs> could you feel it? Oh, yeah. Was it impressive? Um, so I am joined today by Tim. Tim Fernandez. <laughs> of film, UBC Film Society fame. Former Film Society glory. I'm gonna start saying just dirty words, just like <laughs> constantly. Um, but yeah, Tim is a longtime film sock rep, I guess. Also, shout out, copy paste. Oh yeah! Oh, you got ahead <laughs> of me. It's the next uh, okay. promo we're playing. Well, I'm gonna spoil it. Uh, copy paste is my own show on CATR Radio, Thursday nights at eleven. Yeah, eleven p.m. every Thursday. But that's not why I'm here. It's not why I'm here. <laughs> You're here because we love you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Geez. Yeah, yeah it's a great reason. I think so. I mean, I'm coasting on it right now. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we are talking about the Wachowski sisters, who are Tim's favorite directors. Um, I'm just gonna launch into like, I watch The Matrix. They've directed The Matrix, and I watch The Matrix, so I'm going to talk about The Matrix. Please do. And for the viewers, for the listeners, your first viewing of The Matrix. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious what your thoughts are. Um, I, as my favorite movie. Yeah, no, Tim's favorite movie. So I feel uh, the pressure is on. I think. Oh no, I'm just I I just love anyone who gets into it. So I'm curious what you got out of it. Okay, cool. Because I've watched it like 25 times <laughs> at least. So it's kind of ruined for me the the newness of it. Yeah, that's but. fair. Um, I do think like I don't know how new it can be at this point because everyone knows kind of what it's about. It's true, you know? and it's been like uh, like so many people have ripped it off, and mm-hmm. it's been like lampooned and satirized in media and stuff. So yeah, it's an interesting time to watch something that uh, like that that was fairly groundbreaking. That's kind of how I feel actually sometimes when I watch older movies that have been really uh, influential, like The Shining or something. Yeah, never seen The Shining either. At this point, I'm scared to because mm. I'm like, I already know, I know it. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, anyway, The Matrix. Yeah, The Matrix. Um, for Dama loves when we do like little synopsi. So I'll just do a quick. Um, this guy, Thomas Anderson, lives in a world. He lives in our world in 1999. And he is like a coder um, or a hacker or something. He does computers. As, as, as um, Agent Smith says in the movie, living two lives. <laughs> One, one is Mr. I, Anderson. I want this software developer, and one as Neo, underground hacker. You better just quote The Matrix throughout <laughs> this episode. Um, just like give me a little hand signal, and I'll clear the way for you. Yeah, d- don't uh, don't get me going. <laughs> I think the train has left the station. I think it's <laughs> happening. Um, but yeah, so as Tim said, he's a software developer at like a respectable company, and then he's Neo. He's this like secret online identity where he does like internet crimes. Something that I thought was funny about this movie, and I'm gonna get into it a little bit later, was um, it's based in this like very um, like complex understanding or like this like complex like creation of coding and the internet and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it seems to have no idea what coding actually is. Like, I don't, it's. 
very funny it's to a, me. It's a very liberal visual yeah. interpretation. Well, it came out at a time when, like, technology was, like, new and, like, fresh and, like, it's a hot topic. Um, I mean, it, it kind of, it, what's interesting about it is that it predates uh, what we would call, like, internet social culture or, like, mm-hmm. Web 2.0 or something. Yeah, totally. Uh, and it came out, like, the same year as, like, the dot-com crash. So, like, as this was being made, there was, like, huge um, optimism and potential for the internet at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, just, like, a cool fact, and I'll, I'll talk about it a little, a little bit later, but um, he kind of is, like, um, gets called. Like, he's, like, pulled out mm-hmm. of his little hole um, by this woman, Trinity, and she takes him to see Morpheus. I was calling him Lawrence the whole time because he's played by Lawrence yeah. Fishburne. I love Lawrence Fishburne. Um, but Morpheus, like, kind of wakes him up and tells him that, like, no, the world actually isn't real. And, like, we're living in this, like, the world is a code. Um, and then the action ensues. I don't want to spoil anything. Sure. Um, so. The, the the line that Morpheus says, which is great. <laughs> yeah, you're, you have it going. Is that. <laughs> If you're if you were living, I'm paraphrasing, phrasing, but if you were living in a dream and you couldn't wake up from that dream, how would you know that what you're living isn't actually a dream? How do you know your real your reality isn't a dream if you can't wake up from that dream? Mind blown! Oh, dear listeners, call in if you think that I should start doing sound effects with my voice on air. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be really funny, but I also and think we could get give us suggestions like of the sound effects. Yeah, like no. Oh, I wish we were live streaming right now. Yeah. We could get so much good content. You're welcome. Um, but so the Matrix was cool. The Matrix, like as we like just kind of said, it like is like a cultural landstone. Like it's like really like where a lot. Like it was just like so huge. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you feel that when you were watching it? I did, but mainly because like I knew I knew how big it was. Right. Like, I I do wish that it like wasn't as like it wasn't as like as much of a landmark. Like you didn't know as much about it. Yeah, because yeah. I like I was watching it and I was like, yeah, like this is huge. <laughs> like this is huge. And you're like, oh yeah, I remember. I see that moment. Yeah, I, I recognize that moment, even though you've never seen it before. It's interesting what culture does to to uh, um, cultural artifacts like that. Eh? Yeah, it just like really fragments it. Kind of, you have a. F- I had like a familiarity with like a text that I'd like never, mm. never really engaged with. Um, but I thought it was really interesting, mainly because it was like, I kind of see it as like the creation of like online dystopia. Like it's like the fur like contemporary sci-fi. Like I think of a lot of sci-fi as like or like computer sci-fi. You know. Hmm. Interesting. At least that's like what it is in my head. I I would argue that while it's not the first movie about computer hacking by a long shot, there are many before that. Uh, some good, some not so good. Uh, this was probably one of the first like movies that set in the computer world try to grapple with uh, like postmodern ideas of, mm-hmm. of reality and truth, uh, which all these hacking movies before that didn't really care about. Yeah, totally. Um, and that really makes it like. Like, again, like, a freaking landmark. Um, and I thought it was, like, like very interesting as – I didn't know it was a dystopia. Like, mm-hmm. that is, like, I knew I, – f- what was funny about watching is that I knew specific scenes and I knew specific aspects of it, but I didn't know that it was actually set in, like, 2199. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, like, thought that it was Spoiler still alert. set. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I feel like at this point, uh, if you haven't watched it uh, – you, I have, I have no uh, responsibility for our spoilers. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll accept that. That's a good, that's a good disclaimer. May you might be spoiled. <laughs> what is it now? It's almost oh, wow. It's almost twenty years on. It's eighteen years. Yeah. <laughs> the Wachowski's got something right. They like really nailed it. Um, <laughs> but something else that I like, I did enjoy it. It's not. I don't know, maybe because I've seen enough movies before this that was like, whoa, like, what is reality? Like, the world you're living in is real. Like, yeah, no, it was the first, like, real, like, I think, like, huge postmodern. <laughs> like, like this weird coupling of, like, postmodernism and, like, like cont- like mass media, you know? Yeah, and, well, and new media, uh, especially. Um, I think 
well, fun fact about when they're filming The Matrix, um, uh, Lana and Lily had the cast, all the cast read uh, Jean Baudrillard's Simulacra and Simulation. Oh, cool. Which is like a, a, a landmark postmodern text. And uh, so they, he was trying. They were trying to like get these uh, actors kind of in the, in the mood for for understanding these kinds of ideas in a, uh, in the context in the world that they're creating of the Matrix. I did not know that. I have a question for you. I don't know if you know the answer. What was the budget on this film? Uh, that's a good question. Let's look it up right now. Because uh, it is very impressive. I like, think it's. I think it's around ninety million. What would that be like guess. now, like with inflation? Sixty-three million is what it is. Um, let's see. Yeah, it's okay. Sixty-three million in twenty seventeen dollars. <laughs> Cause the sets are incredible, and like the visual effects are really amazing, and especially in like ninety-nine when it came out, like that's not. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel. I like mean, it's something that it was, was probably it's probably most well known for its like innovations in visual effects, uh, which is unfortunate actually. I think. Because it takes away from the fact that it's not really an action movie. Mm-hmm. It's a mental movie. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was saying like a little earlier, I think, I don't know if the mics were on when I said it, but I think of it, I like watching it, I thought it was like pure 90s. Like everything about it was mm-hmm. like very 90s to me. Um, like the tunes were really 90s. That's part of why we're playing so much, or I'm playing so much like Montreal music on the show today because I feel like it has, like, the most nostalgic 90s vibe to it um, out of a lot of what – a lot of the tunes I know. Um, but I think it was cool. We were saying a little – I don't – I remember – again, I don't know if the mics were on, but um, how the Matrix is being reread and reevaluated a lot, um, like, as, like, a, a trans coming out film. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to expand on that a little Sure. Bit? Uh, so after uh, um, Lana came out, in around 2012 that was her first uh, public um appearance i guess as as lana uh people started to kind of reanalyze their their previous movies through this trans lens and um uh, the rumors of of lana's uh, um transition kind of came out while they were filming the sequels to the matrix so uh you can kind of think th- it's it's you can kind of speculate that these kind of ideas were probably percolating during the matrix as well mm-hmm. uh so a lot of people kind of view uh there the, i guess one view of of the matrix through a trans lens is that uh the the duality between uh the the dream world and the real world is one where of this like uh gender awakening where uh when you wake up in into the real world you're realizing your your true um identity and in in the matrix there's a whole bunch of different people that wake up in in the real world and and come out of their dream state and they all kind of cope with it and grapple with it in different ways and and uh that could be seen as kind of reflective of the ways in which uh trans people um have to come to terms with with their uh true identities and neo kind of flourishes in that and other characters such as like cypher or even agent smith if you consider uh, that character also as someone struggling with their transness is, uh, uh, you know, f- uh, coping with in fairly destructive ways. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like, I thought really fascinating because I knew I went into this movie knowing, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give a disclaimer. I didn't know who the Wachowski brothers were before mm. you mentioned them or mm. you requested them. Um, and I Googled them just before watching the matrix. So I was like, it was fresh on my brain. Um, that they had like since come out and like were like living their best lives um so I was watching it like with this like I couldn't help like gendering it kind of mm-hmm. um and so yeah I'm interesting what, what given your your uh now that, that you that you're aware of that I'm curious what, what you thought of that yeah I thought it was um fascinating because Neo as a character you might hate i'm so scared to say this or i just i don't want you to hate me or you're not hate me i don't know um but don't worry i've heard people have shredded the parts of this movie so much so i've gotten used to you know defending it with with uh with, <laughs> with gusto yeah. um okay that's cool um i just thought he was quite a flat character like there mm-hmm. was no 
like he was he's kind of like chosen out of this like sea of people living in the matrix and like i've never i'm never really sure why um and like he never there's no character there's no like arc really and the arc that there is like other characters say for him like Mm -hmm. it's not demonstrated and then also there's like a love story and she's like i love you and it's like you've never had a conversation (laughs) um but this like flat male character but trinity is probably one of the most fleshed out characters of all of them like she is really strong like backstory like i don't know maybe it's her act the actress like really brought it out but also like it was a good role like the Mm -hmm. the it's it's you could definitely argue that it's more than just a supporting role. Yeah, no, totally. And also, I was watching it with my sister, and she really pointed out like I was like, "Ooh, Keanu, like, hey, mm-hmm. what's up?" And Claire was like, "He's not a typical male star. Like, he's not like as the lead in a movie like this. He's kind of a bizarre choice." Mm-hmm. Um, so like, and like, kind of feminine, like mm-hmm. feminine features, like kind of lithe or whatever well and throughout the movie he's always talking about how he can't do something he's mm-hmm. like he's not confident in his abilities and stuff like that whereas trinity is kind of the reverse of that she she has these very like masculine characteristics and is very uh confident in her abilities and and uh neo kind of takes after her because of that yeah which is what which was like a really I, that's a good point i didn't even think of that um but it's just like a biz, uh, i don't know like in a movie that came out in 1999 the gender like like specific like traditional gendering is like super prevalent prevalent oh my god relevant mm-hmm. <laughs> and prevalent at the same time like in a way that's like still true today but i think people are kind of more conscious of it especially something like sub- as subversive as yeah it's kind of something that just kind of is another thought uh if 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 you're viewing it um within the context of that it was made but in retrospectively as we're thinking now it's it becomes very obvious Mm -hmm. and the other characters in the film the only real attractive male character mm, yeah i would say like 100 percent attractive male character is morpheus and neo i guess um but like all the female characters are quite beloved like trinity's really um like huge and then like smith I think her name is like she's like uh, switch switch yeah thank you um she's like a cool like bad lady mm-hmm. and then the oracle is like a beautiful like warm woman mm-hmm. and like the continuity and like universal loveliness of and like fullness of all the female characters like even switch like she's in it for like a few scenes and like she gets more characterization than like cypher cypher but like neo the neo which Mm. is like bizarre Mm -hmm. i i do agree that neo is kind of a very uh um uh, yeah i don't know if it's like like keanu reeves kind of brings this like uh kind of subduedness to to the character which is fine because that's what he does Mm -hmm. and and it's also i'm sure how he was directed to do it um and it probably goes along with that like feminization of of him but uh you know yeah i agree it's there's there's a it kind of He's not the most compelling character, and he's also kind. Of, it also kind of suffers from this like white savior complex, which is uh, becomes a little more obvious as it ages. Yeah. Uh, but what what I would tell you then is that if you enjoy the female characters in the Matrix, is you should give the Matrix sequels a shot because okay. there are even more of them in those. Ooh, sick. Um, I'm gonna play a song and a couple PSAs really quick, because um, I know you want to talk about Sense Eight, which is mm-hmm. the TV series on Netflix that they yeah. produced. Yeah, um, which is really cool. But we're running a little short on time, so here is oof, um, "Far as I Go." Wow, um, by Gigi Peach off of their album Melt. They're another Montreal artist, um, and you're listening to the Real World on CITR 11.9 FM.
Let's listen in as one poor soul tries to find something good to enjoy on the radio. Let's see here. Uh... Oh. Everybody dance, dance. What, you don't like to dance? Everybody dance. Oh. Everybody. God, this is awful. Climbed up the mountain, climbed back down again for you. I climbed up the mountain again for you, and then I climbed back down, climbed up. Isn't there anything, 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 anything? Listening to the radio these days can be distressing. Fortunately, here at CITR, our programmers choose the music that they play, so our charts reflect what people actually listen to. To find out what's really chopping the charts, pick up a copy of Discorder magazine, or check us out online at citr.ca. Unless, of course, you'd rather keep listening to the chart-topping single, Everybody Dance. What, you don't like to dance? Everybody dance. Everybody dance. Everybody dance, dance. What, you don't like to dance? <laughs> Everybody Tune in every Thursday from 11 p.m. till midnight for Copy and Paste with your host, Tim, a.k.a. Autonomy, the very best in underground dance music. Hey, welcome back to The Real World on CITR 101.9 FM. Welcome back. Yeah, I'm joined by Tim. Tim Fernandez. Yeah. And we're talking about the Wachowski sisters. We just had a whole convo about um, the Matrix, and I feel like we could talk like for a way longer time. Yeah, it. don't don't get me going. Yeah, don't no, going. <laughs> it's Tim's favorite movie. He knows the words. We're good. But yeah, we're, don't like if you if you ask me to like act out scenes, I <gasps> probably could. I'm not. Don't don't ask me. <laughs> don't ask me. Um, call in if you want to see Tim act out scenes yeah. from the Matrix. I I will cave under popular demand <laughs> for sure, but. Um, but so you want to talk about Sense Eight, which is our Netflix show. Mm-hmm. So kind of fast forwarding, I guess. So The Matrix was the second movie that they uh, directed. Oh, what was um, the first? B- uh, the first one was called Bound. But funny story, The Matrix was actually uh, the first movie that they wanted to make, but it was a huge, sprawling sci-fi mm-hmm. epic, and uh, Warner Brothers said, "Like, uh, you've never made a movie before." <laughs> um, <clears throat> And so, so they're like, okay, you need to make a diff- a cheaper movie to see that you can do it, and uh, and so they made Bound, and Bound is uh, I won't go too much into it, but um, it's kind of this uh, kind of neo noir uh, thriller with uh, um, a uh, yeah that also explores kind of uh, queer sexuality, um, and uh, then they made The Matrix, and then they made a whole bunch of movies between that and. Everybody thought after The Matrix they all kind of sucked, which is not true, and I won't really talk too much about them, but uh, the reason I think none of them really suck is because, um, well, after that they made The Matrix sequels, uh, they made 
uh, V for Vendetta, Speed Racer, Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, and then Sensate. And they, while not all of them are like great movies, they all do something pretty interesting, and uh, they're all kind of they they have a different filmmaking technique in each one, which is really cool. I mean, anytime yeah. directors kind of like breaking ground in terms of how a film can be made you should watch that you should, you should you should you know look out for those things and they do that with every movie that is something that i noticed during the matrix matrix and cloud atlas are like two totally different visual films mm-hmm. like they look so different to me absolutely which was like s- sick i was like oh whoa, cool you, you like developed and changed your style that's awesome mm-hmm. speed racer has another very distinctive look um and uh it's 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 got yeah they they also re- are really good at shooting action scenes which is incredible speed racer has incredible action scenes uh jupiter ascending has fantastic action scenes and that movie was trashed quite a bit but i actually quite like it <laughs> jupiter ascending has some really cool ideas about identity in it and the costuming and the makeup in it is wonderful it's very gender fluid as well uh so very cool things go on in jupiter ascending for the listeners who don't know that's Channing Tatum, Mila Kunis, B- Mila Kunis, and Eddie Redmayne. Eddie Redmayne, mm-hmm. three actors who I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, I support right. it. Yeah. Uh, so Sense8, let's talk about Sense8. Uh, so <laughs> Sense8 is the first TV show that they ever did, uh, and it's for Netflix. And the the premise of the movie is that, or the the show is that uh, there are uh, there exist in the world um, these kind of like uh octuplets i guess you could say not in the sense of that they're all born at the same time but that there are eight people um that around the world share this uh like telepathic connection where each of them can like step into each other's minds and uh uh, kind of take over their their minds for a while or just uh, feel what they feel and all eight of these people are connected and there's different kind of uh groups of eight um at all of the world at different times and the, they're all different races they're all different sexualities they're all different they're all completely different identities and completely different situations but the thing that ties them all together is that they're actually born at the exact same time around the world uh and so it explores this idea of shared uh feeling shared sensing and shared emotion and uh it's really just kind of an exaggeration or an extension of what we as regular people do all day every day which is mind reading and mind reading is just our ability to perceive other people's states of mind uh through our own senses so when i see uh dora giving me a face across the the studio then i know what she's feeling because i can relate to that myself and when people say things, language is a really good way to export, you know, export your state of mind to someone else's. But all of these kinds of things are are uh, mediated forms of of mind reading. They're they're filtered out by our language. They're filtered out by what uh, the limits of our faces are and what our bodies can do and things like that. Um, but Sensate is all about direct mind connection, essentially. And uh, what's really cool about it is that because there's eight of these people that share the this uh ability effectively there's eight main characters in the story and that is something i've never seen before in film uh you see like you know a couple of main characters and like a lot of supporting characters and stuff but you never really see a show that gives up like that many people the same amount of um importance in the story eight main characters Uh, and i think it's uh the the only way you could actually explore that is through a TV format like Netflix mm-hmm. where all of the episodes are available right away. And the, uh, so it's, it's really cool that they're taking this this new television format and kind of creating a new narrative system uh, that's only uh, afforded by, by the medium that they're working with. And that's something that uh, they do all the time in all of their movies as well. Uh, so having eight main, character, main characters, it would make for like a mess if you're kind of working very linearly or in series um but it, it works pretty well um in this kind of netflix binge format uh it also they also do some really cool scenes in it where um all of them because all of them are experiencing things at the same time they can cut between each person's experience in the same kind of environment um cool and it's very hard to explain without actually seeing but uh, the idea is that they're all experiencing the same thing and so they kind of jump into each other's world in and out and they uh 
capture this visually in a very compelling way. The the scenes where they all kind of work together, they're just they're dazzling. And like I can't even imagine how hard dazzling they were to shoot. Cool. Yeah, clip my sister has seen it and she said that the cinematography was like amazing. It's fantastic. And the the level of detail that they have to go into to make sure that like, you know, actors are blocked out in the same mm-hmm. kind of relation in different scenes that focus on different characters uh makes it uh, really impressive. I'm freaking sold. Um Unfortunately, have... Sense8 was uh was uh canceled. It was recently. canceled? Yes. If, if season 2 came out like a couple months ago, and then it was canceled at the beginning of June, right in time for Pride Month. Oh, sick! It's and this is uh, it's a really interesting movie uh, if you're interested in uh, uh, queer sexuality and gender expression as well, because there are many um, different gender expressions in the show. But also uh, because all of these people share a mind, there's like this sense of uh, uh, where they kind of just embrace pure sense expression and sense. Um, they're motivated purely by uh, their sensory uh, shared experiences and not by conventions of who they are, or what their identity is. Oh, cool. So, like, you know, having sex if with a sensate is basically like having sex with all of them <laughs> in a sensate, and it, and it explores those ideas in really interesting ways. Cool. I'm You've sold me. Yeah. I'm going to pay my Netflix bill and then watch this movie <laughs> or this show. Yeah. Um, but you have a clip? Uh, yeah, I got a clip here. Um. I just wanted to play this clip because it's it's kind of sums up what Sensate is in, in a really nice way. And you're going to hear uh, an interview with two of the Sensates, but they're all going to be talking at the same time for each other. They kind of jump in and help each other out. If someone's tongue-tied or something, they'll come in and say something. So you hear a bunch of different voices, but they're all kind of the same voice, like um, collaborative, co- cooperative uh, voice together. Okay, cool. So we're going to hear that. Yeah. And I, that's going to close our lovely episode. Thank you so much, Tim, for being on air with us today. Or Absolutely. Today, I guess. Sorry, listeners, for being late. <laughs> that was my fault. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, Sense8. There's an interview by these reporters interviewing two of them, but they all kind of answer together. CATR, 101.9 FM. Someone is looking for you. Who is it? I don't know her name. I don't know who she is. Lito Rodriguez. Long time, no see. Mariana, thank you for coming. What have you been up to? Well, I, I, I am very excited about the premiere of this film. It's, it's one of my favorites. Would you care to comment on the scandalous photos of you that recently went viral on the internet? <sighs> Mariana, not friendly chit chat. Just right for the chicken. Yeah. So you're the famous Van Damme. I am. My name is Kafius. And what is your name? And this is your Matatum. Oh, yes. Move, move, move. You're blocking the muscles. Are you denying the photos are real? No, no, no. I, I, I did not say that. So I, are you a homosexual? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Can you explain to me why it matters? It matters to your fans. If you're lying to them, they have the right to know. Tell our viewers why it is that you're called Van Damme. Have you ever seen Lion House? No, I don't watch movies like that. <laughs> movies like what? Movies that glorify violence. Movies where the white man saves the world. <laughs> Lion House is not about any of those things. It's about courage. <laughs> I am very grateful to my fans. I know that as an actor, well, I'll try to give them something true, something from my heart. Then you were lying to them before. Oh, Lito, come on. This good. Is this your lover then? Sorry, I didn't recognize him with his clothes on. Do you... You know, you know what your problem is? I don't have a problem. I just want to understand... You're not trying to understand anything. Are you admitting you're gay no, or you're not? you're not trying to understand anything. 